All right, guys, today, no pre-roll. I just wanted to say thank you very much for listening today. It's a little bit of a longer podcast, and it's my 100th episode. It'll be our 50,000th download, and that is a lot of time that you guys have committed to listening to this podcast. And I wanted to make sure that I celebrated it in a way that... I thought would bring you guys maximum value for your time. So this is sort of everything. If I could sort of embody what we have done in the first 100 episodes, the journey that I have been on and you guys have been on with me, these are the takeaways. These are the things that I think are the most important. And I'll continue to try to strive to find new and better ways to bring this information to you and anything else that we need to add to the list moving forward. Thank you very much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and have a great day. guys what is going on today we have a lot of really exciting stuff first of all it is our 100th podcast episode and technically you know we've done interviews and sunday coffee chats and things like that which get us probably to closer to like 140 but in terms of me kind of sitting here in my office and uh, just kind of talking about things that i think might develop or help or even honestly just talking through my own thought process and kind of I don't know. It's a little bit self-reflective for me, a little bit meditative, uh, but a hundred times of doing that and uh, the amount of times that I've recorded full podcasts and deleted all of them is staggering. And so it's kind of cool to be able to look back. Uh, We've got some other sort of monumental things happening at the same time. Number one, uh, we're also going to hit 50,000 podcast downloads uh, on this episode, which is really cool and super exciting. And of course, you know, I, I don't take that stuff lightly. I understand. And what we're actually going to talk a little bit about today is, you know, how important our attention is and how we need to be really careful with where we spend it and what we do with it. And, you know, I I don't take it lightly, I guess, when I when you guys give me a half an hour of your time to hopefully expand your way of thinking is is kind of my thought process. That's the goal of this podcast is to give you guys a different angle, give you guys something to think about and, you know, challenge our way of thinking and being a little bit And the really fun thing that's come back to me on the other end of that is I have been challenged in my way of thinking and being. And typically when I record a whole podcast and I delete it, it's a sign for me that I need to sit down and I need to maybe think about that topic a little bit more. Or maybe my opinion hasn't been fully formed and I need to think of new analogies or metaphors and things so that I can help get that across a little bit better, make it a make it an easier pill to swallow. And if I can't do that, then I need to go educate myself more. I need to put myself in a place where it is something that I feel comfortable talking about or don't talk about it at all yet, right? And that's just kind of a good rule of thumb. So that's some other uh, fun stuff. And then also a monumental life day today. Uh, I no longer have hair. And so the next time you guys see me, you'll notice that Maria got to uh, buzz my head today, which as you can imagine, she was very, very excited about and had quite a bit of fun doing. Um, But, you know, we reach a point in our life as a man and a man with a family full of bald men. uh, And, you know, we just have to sort of make a decision. So the really fun part about this is I've gone back to my lovely latte factor calculator, which is something when I do a little bit of financial coaching, I like to discuss. I'm not big on intentionally neglecting your your needs in terms of, you know, if you really, really like coffee, that's something that we should budget for, but it is something that we should also not go over the limit. And that's the idea with the latte factor. But if we add in, you know, $40 roughly for a haircut, which right now I don't spend quite that much, but you assume the price is going to go up over the next 40 years of my life, assuming I live till I'm 75, $40 every month with a 9% interest rate for 42 years gets me to $252,963 of savings. 
So just over a quarter million dollars from just not having to pay for a haircut again for the rest of my life. Look at that. That's the beautiful upside. So I always try as much as I can to find the upside. Um, and, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about something, uh, something like this where, you know, you don't really have a choice. So don't freak out when you guys see me. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, when I get a little tan uh, this summer and get some time out in the sun, hopefully I look a little better. Anyway, we are on to the podcast for today. So five things that I have learned about people, health, fitness, mentality, human psyche in owning a gym in what will also be, oh yeah, this is something I didn't talk about. We are about to, in six days, we will begin our 10th year of an official business, uh, which is obviously a very cool mark to make it to as a business and something that I also don't take lightly. And, you know, I was reminiscing a little bit about how crazy it is to kind of think about, you know, the growth in Lewis Center and the, the two buildings we have and, you know, the 15 staff members that are coming on and people who are aspiring to be a coach inside of our business still. Uh, it's pretty crazy to kind of think back to the garage and just how young I was and I think how naive I was and, you know, just uh, that mentality of that person and just see how much more everything is now, including this podcast. So also a very cool thing uh, for us. So uh, in my, let's say, 10 years of roughly owning a gym because we we sort of operated a little bit for uh, the year prior. So five things. All right. So first thing we're going to talk about here, we're just going to dive right into it. Number one is I have developed a much more firm understanding of short-term gratification and long-term gain. And this is something we're going to talk about this a few different ways, but you know, this quote that I read from Naval just kind of keeps sticking with me and it's desire is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. So I'm going to say that one again. Desire is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. And this is something that I've just sort of been thinking about quite a bit. But I think that the more I look at the things that sort of plague our society, and we have this large wealth gap right now that's being talked about quite a bit, um, inequality in terms of, you know, even, you know, not even necessarily opportunity, but, you know, we're starting to get to the point where it's going to be harder and harder and harder for people to pull their way out of middle class. But I think the same is true when we start to look at the health gap. I think what we start to see is I sort of visualize, you know, everybody in America when they're, you know, teenagers, let's say, getting just dumped into the middle of the ocean and they can see this island up ahead and they the whole goal is just to get out of the water and make it to the island so that you're safe. And the sooner you get there, the more you can start to move on with your life. You can stop treading water. You can start, you know, eating and figuring out food and you can start being a part of civilization. But what happens is a lot of people just sort of sit there and tread water and eventually the tide brings them out and it's too far for them to ever eventually swim back to the shore. And I think all along the way, you have people on boats and on rafts who are like, hey, you know, we figured it out. We built this boat. Come on, get on board here. You know, come on, jump on, get on. You know, we'll take you up to shore. We'll get you to the island. There's all these people offering help. And People are just like, they just don't even say anything. They're just like, no, I'm good, man. I'm just going to tread water. Eventually, I think the the wind will kind of blow us towards the island. On a long enough timeline, I'll be okay. And then eventually you drift so far away from the island that no boats come anymore. And you can't swim there. And it starts to get to this, this huge gap. And I think what that gap is, is... It's sort of us taking the short term ease like it's it's hard to get into a boat. Right? It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to go to the library and rent some books and read a little bit. It takes some time. It takes some thought. It takes some effort. It's not as fun as watching a Netflix series. It's not as entertaining as going out to a movie or going bowling. Working out 
is not as fun as eating a box of Oreos for the most part. Let's just say that sometimes it can be. But over and over, we make these small decisions to just continue treading water. And there becomes this large gap. And the thing that's really, really hard for me to watch, and I I don't know if I've gotten any better at this. I've just started to gain a little bit more of an understanding of, of what the gap is, what it looks like, and the mentality that causes it. But the hardest thing for me is you see people who struggle financially. You see people who struggle with their health, with their fitness, with their nutrition. And all they really need to go and do is listen to three podcasts, read one or two books, and just take action. And that's it. And we can sit here and we can talk about the how and the different trains of thought and the different schools of thought and all these different things. And we can, you know, you can argue about, you know, should you do a squat or should you do a lunge or should you, you know, run or should you do pushups or should you lift weights or should you do cardio or should you eat mostly vegetables or mostly proteins or should you eat well-rounded keto, blah, blah, blah. You can, we can sit here and we can argue the what and the how. But that's not what's really stopping people. That's not what's really causing the rift. And I think the thing that's so interesting is when you really sit and talk to people, especially people who are in the middle of, you know, boats passing them by, people with outreached hands offering to help them, and they're just choosing not to take it. The more that you see that start to happen, the biggest thing that's holding them back is they have these long-term desires. They have these things that they say that they want. You know, oh, I'd, you know, I really want to lose 20 pounds. Or, you know, man, it'd be, it'd be nice to not feel this way all the time. It'd be nice to not have to take these antidepressants for 25 years. It'd be nice to be, not be addicted to smoking or painkillers or opioids. You know, and, and, and on a long enough timeline, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit smoking. This year is going to be the year that I'm going to start. I'm going to start eating healthy. But what happens is, as we drift further and further away from the island, from safe, from being saved, another way of looking at that, as we drift further and further away, we become addicted instead to short-term gratification. We become addicted to the cigarette or the sugar or whatever it might be, the drug, right? And that becomes the habit. And that habit's a painful one. And I see that being something now where the most successful people that I know are the ones who have a high degree of control over delaying short-term gratification in lieu of making the correct, slower, longer-term focused decisions. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's a trained skill. And I think the further away you are from the island, the more work it takes for us to start to get off of that train. And, you know, we experience people of all different ages, age ranges. And what you find is that most people, if they come into, you know, our gym, our atmosphere, and they start to adopt eating healthy and exercising, living a disciplined lifestyle, and they are consistently engaged with the practice of delaying short-term gratification, they might not be perfect at it. They might only do it 80% of the time, right? We still have cookies. We still eat pizza. You know, we still have lazy days where we want to sleep in and hit the snooze button or watch a movie at home. But on the whole, the majority of the decisions are made effectively the right way. And we just need to have a tight understanding of sort of where we're at. And I think the hardest part and one of the biggest things that I've learned is that when you're looking overhead from a bird's eye view, looking down at all the people in the water, I think people don't have an understanding of where they're at in the water. I think they're making decisions. They're making choices. They are engaging in things that are short-term gratification, and it is pushing them further away from the island, but they don't see that yet. And this is where you just hope that they can find some help 
in that one of the boats is convincing enough, is helpful enough to get them on board, to drag them on board, to force them on board. Because I do think once we start getting out far enough away from the island, I think it starts to become self-fulfilling. And self-awareness in and of itself will be the only thing that will really help you get back onto the boat. So I think this is one of the things that, you know, I've learned a lot. And the game then for me becomes how many things can I delay the short-term gratification in lieu of doing the thing that's going to be the best for me in the long term? How much can I tell myself my future self will thank me for spending my time this way right now? And I think professionally, that's acquiring skills. I think that's reading books. I think that's going to courses. I think that's having mentors and learning from them. I think that's asking questions. I think that's constantly being engaged in a process of learning and acquiring new skills all the time. Health-wise, I think that that's something where it's nutrition, it's exercise, it's making the decision to wake up at 445 and come in and get your workout in because you know deep down if you're being self-aware that you will not come in after work. It's the same thing when we start to think about nutrition. It's making the small decisions. It's not, you know, once a week, if you have some cookies or if you have, you know, if you go out and you have, you have pizza with some friends and a couple beers, that's not it. It's removing the short term, the small stuff, the little things here and there. It's cutting things out of your coffee because you just really don't need them. You don't. And you sit there and you argue and you say, yeah, but I really like my coffee that way. No, you really like the short-term gratification that sugar gives you. And you're doing that at a detriment to your long-term health and well-being. Well, I really like having a Coke with my Chipotle burrito. Well, I like, really like having a glass of wine and a couple beers to wind down every night. Well, if you really like those three things... Right there every single day, your five or 600 calories that you don't need that set you behind from a health and fitness perspective, from a wellness, long-term wellness perspective. And what you're doing, every time you say that, every time those words come out of your mouth, you convince yourself a little bit more, a little bit further that I need short-term gratification to be happy. I don't care what the long-term health benefits are. Don't you tell me that I need to focus on what's best for myself long term because I like this short term gratification thing. It feels good. And so I'm going to get defensive. I'm not going to have the self-awareness to make the right decision. And every one of those, you're just, you have the ability to sit there and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's not that big of a deal that I spend an hour a day on Instagram or it's not that big of a deal that, you know, I sit and watch Netflix for two or three hours. And it's not right. It is if you acquire zero new skills professionally, you're not where you want to be. You're not where you want to be health and wellness wise. And you skipped your workout but you made sure that you got your Instagram time in. You didn't prep food for the day or go to the grocery and get healthy foods. But we did get our couple Netflix shows in while we ordered in. Because every one of those little decisions, they stack. And they stack and they stack and they stack. And when viewed independently, none of them are issues. But when viewed as a habit of pushing the skill down the road of accepting and enjoying and wanting and needing that little short term, ooh, this feels good, over, yeah, you know, I really wish, you know, 10 years ago I would have done X and Y and Z. I really wish, you know, 20 years ago I would have started putting into my retirement so I could see it on the horizon, Because if you've ever met somebody who doesn't have good health insurance, needs really hardcore health care, help, prescription drugs, doctors, surgeries, and didn't save anything for retirement, man, that's a tough life situation to be in. And there's a lot of regret that sits there. And these are the things that when you take a couple steps back and you start to think about, this is sort of what 
everything is. This is what success in any endeavor is, is delaying that short term need or want, delaying the the communication, how you talk about yourself to others, how you communicate, pushing that aside and saying, I know that my future self will be happy that I did it this way instead of that way. I don't know anybody who has acquired a ton of useful business skills, read books that have high education value, can take you to places, listen to and engage in podcasts that make you think and teach you things. And years down the road, they go, man, I really wish I wouldn't have spent so much time learning so many new things. Like, (laughs) I really wish I wouldn't have spent all that time gaining all of that wisdom and insight. I really wish I would have blown off more time and, you know, watched some more TV shows. And we know that. And it's obvious. Yet we become addicted to the habit of the short term. And so that's number one, guys. That is the number one thing that I have learned over the past 10 years. And I think if you can figure this out, and I don't have it figured out all the way yet, I catch myself all the time accepting short-term gratification. In no way, shape, or form am I perfect in this. And none of us are. And you're, you're lying to yourself if you think you are. It is a constant pursuit of getting a little bit better at this. And just when you think you've gotten better, you're going to slip. You're going to fail. You're going to fall off the boat. You're so close to the island. You're going to fall off the boat. And now you're back to treading water a little bit again. Then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot how much treading water sucks. Next boat. All right, come on. Get me back on board here. I'm getting closer and closer to the island as I go. And once you get there, that island is filled with people who, for lack of a better way to put it, sort of have it all figured out. Right. They understand that we're not going to get rich quick. There is no secret fat loss thing. We're going to talk about this a little bit at the end. And this is going to be a longer podcast, and I'm not really going to apologize for that. I think it's going to, I hope it's, I've, I've thought this out a lot. I've deleted it seven times. And, you know, I really do want to get deeper into some of these thoughts. Um, and I think that the island is filled with people who are successful, intelligent, empathetic, caring, philanthropic, giving, charitable just amazing people. And I want everybody to experience a life surrounded by those amazing people. And that's sort of become my pursuit. And that's the pursuit of this podcast. That's the goal is to help you see the way to the island, to be a boat that just continues to circle around, try to pick up new people, continues to try to get people to the island, which is kind of weird because that's this sort of does seem and look like the the movie the island all right let's move on number two all right that one got that one got a little deep um our last one's gonna get pretty deep too uh so number two guys movement is medicine and i think this is something right now you know obviously huge flu epidemic coronavirus all sorts of things and you know i think one of the biggest things that i've realized and one of the the you know pushes that i try to get onto other people is There's so much evidence now. There's so many different things. It's almost impossible to refute the fact that movement is going to help you with everything. Depression, unhappiness, sadness, loneliness, all of these things is they can be cured by getting up and just moving around. And even if that's on like the low key, it's like going taking your dog for a walk at high banks on a sunny day, just getting up and moving. It has these effects. It's innately human. We're supposed to be up and moving, and our society is over time moving less and less and less. And we're in the middle of this thing where people are like, I'm going to quarantine, I'm going to work from home, I'm going to sit, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And immediately when Grant and I talk about, okay, what's, you know, try to prepare. What's friendships plan going to be? If like, if we go into a full lockdown quarantine, what are we going to do? We're going to run online classes. We're going to run Facebook live stuff, movement, movement from home. Like it's not perfect. It's not as fun, but we're going to joke. We're going to laugh and we're going to move like that's because if we don't, we are more susceptible to getting sick and we're more susceptible to the sickness hitting us harder. We're more susceptible to being depressed. And when you're depressed, you're more likely for your immune system to shut down and to have a bunch of negative effects that come from that. When I say movement is medicine, guys, I mean it's medicine for everything. It should be our first and last thought every day. Because if it is, 
if we take that medicine a little bit every single day, we're going to be better parents. We're going to be better husbands, better wives, better friends, better people, better community. But it can't be something for us. We've we've developed this society that puts movement on the back burner for everybody. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. Yeah, I don't know. My schedule doesn't really let me do workouts. Yeah, this I have this priority, that priority, blah, 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 blah. It's the norm now. I get to have a nice thumb on the pulse of sort of where America's at because I get to sit down and meet with all of these people inside of an affluent American community. And you still see people who still say that they don't have the time to work out. It's insane. You don't have the time to move. What have you been doing? Nothing. I've been doing nothing. And it's insane. It needs to be the first thing we look at in the morning. It needs to be the number one non-negotiable on our schedule. Because everything flows from that. Your energy flows from that. If you're low energy, you need to move more. If you don't feel good, you need to move more. Like everything is, everything leads from that. And if we don't have that mentality and the people in our lives don't have that mentality, then you're going to be more susceptible to everything negative. I truly believe that. If everybody reversed, and this is like, I'm, I'm, you guys know I'm huge on studying education and the advent of some of this, Bobby sent me a great text message today talking about the advent of kids going through online education because they can do things faster, more creative, all these different things. And they have more time to go outside and run and play and move. That should be our first priority for our kids. Who cares about school? Who cares about grades? It doesn't matter. If kids can go out and run and play and be kids, they'll be more focused on learning whatever they want to learn. And if kids go out and the worst thing that you can say about them when they're 18 is, yeah, you know, they're a little bit behind in school, but man, they're in great shape. They're happy as can be. They're super social. They have tons of friends. Like, are you really mad about that? And if you are like, you're just stuck in some weird societal group think. If somebody turns 18 or 19 or 20 and they're in peak physical condition, they're happy as hell. They move well. They move frequently. They're a caring, loving, giving person full of endorphins. They're going to end up being more successful than somebody who grinded away at school, doesn't move at all, is depressed, is not social, doesn't care about other people. And it should be clear. It should be obvious. It's who me and Maria are. We didn't succeed in school. We, did, we didn't. In fact, most people, by all measures, at a certain point in both of our lives, would say we failed at school. But we love moving. We love being with people. We love giving hugs. We love smiling and laughing and caring about people. And there's lots of people who went to way more school than us who wouldn't be viewed as near as successful. They don't have as many friends. They're not as happy. But man, they killed it in school. And so I think this idea of movement as medicine is something that I think a lot of people, you guys are going to get because you feel the long-term, the short-term benefits of moving. But I still think we could do more. I still think that you could still wake up and go for a walk, wake up and do some yoga, wake up and get outside. I still think we could all do more. And so I, I'm sort of becoming a little bit addicted to this, uh, this idea of, you know, the more we move, the better we feel, the higher energy we have. And that leads us into number three, guys, which is nutrition is king. So if movement is medicine, nutrition is also medicine, movement's also king. So these two kind of go side and side. But nutrition is king, guys. You will not be successful in any health and fitness endeavor if you don't work on your nutrition. And if we take it back to the short-term gratification, I'm going to talk about this when we talk about social pressures in, in number five in our last piece. So I'm going to dive into this a little bit deeper and I'll talk about the trap that everybody falls into. But the important thing for us to know is right now you should be working on your nutrition. If you're listening to this and you're not, 
you're not going to be successful in whatever goals you are, whatever goals you want to achieve. If you're not just in some degree working on one little thing, this little thing could be better. And if you aren't working on it, then at least you should be able to tell me exactly why you're successful. Like you should probably, if you're not working on it at all, you should be somebody who's probably pretty dialed in with nutrition and you've maybe been doing it habitually for three or four years. Like I don't necessarily always work on nutrition stuff and the stuff I do, you guys know, eating vegetables more frequently, um, you know, really consistent meal timing, making sure that I don't skip meals when I'm getting busy and things like that. But I think that when we, get into the habit of, you know, Hey, I'm not working on anything and I'm dialed in. It's like, okay, well that'll work for a period of time, but you'll probably slip, probably need to start counting macros. Again, you've probably skewed to whichever macro you like the most. For me, it's proteins and fats for women. Typically it's carbs. A lot of guys it's carbs too. And naturally over time, if you say, yeah, you know, I've got it. Like I followed paleo macros, like I'm pretty good on nutrition. So I don't really need to count anymore. What's going to happen is a year down the line, you'll have skewed away from good macronutrient consumption again. You need to count again. You need to begin working on it again. So just have that understanding. But if we're not working on it, then we're missing the lowest hanging fruit in our lives every day. And those are the two things, right? I'm a firm, firm believer on if you wake up and you move with intention every day, with intention every day, and you wake up and you eat healthy every day, I can't, you, you will be hard pressed with those two disciplines dialed in with the delay of short term gratification with not taking that addictive mentality. You have the opportunity to be successful in every piece of your life. You have the opportunity to best be the best parent possible, the opportunity to be the best husband and wife, because you're training yourself daily to do the hard things. And you're going to be operating like a freaking fighter jet, like a Ferrari, like a race car. You're going to be operating at maximum capacity, giving yourself jet fuel and the ability to go as fast and hard as you possibly want. You're not going to be this broken down 20-year-old Ford Pinto that we're feeding like, you know, it's like uh, the the uh, back to the future car. We're feeding it trash and it breaks down every two feet. That's not how we want to treat our bodies, right? We need to be operating at peak capacity as often as possible. That'll give us our best version of being successful. Number four, I've learned that stress and sleep are non-negotiables. And when you accept uh, negotiating on the short term in these things, it comes back and it bites you in the butt. This is one I had to learn the hard way a few times. And for me right now, I try to sleep a minimum of nine hours every single night. And I think the mentality of, yeah, like, you know, I, I only sleep four hours a day. Like I'm hardcore. I'm so busy. I'm so this. And I, and I just don't sleep. That mentality is a loser's mentality. What that person's telling me is that they don't have the priorities in their life figured out enough to allow the most important thing to be the most important thing. You're hard pressed at this point to go out and read anything about sleep, which I've read the majority of high quality information, research studies, books, and listen to a few different really high quality podcasts that are all pointing in the right direction. And when you, you very, very, very rarely get everybody on one topic sort of pointing in the right direction, which is more sleep is significantly more better than you than 90% of the things that people try to kind of hack. And you can work out and eat perfectly and sleep four hours a night and you're still going to have Alzheimer's, dementia, all these issues. And what's interesting is I spent some time at some senior care and assisted living places lately. And when you go up to the Alzheimer's floors and you spend some time around there, you look and what is it? There's a lot of people that objectively would be viewed as successful. There's a lot of CEOs, company owners, founders, you know, big shot lawyers, executives, actors. It's people who on the surface would be viewed as successful. And this might be a leap. But my assumption is that the majority of those people neglected their health even if it was just sleep and stress over that time in their lives 
and that had long-term ramifications. A lot of the studies now are coming back with Alzheimer's and dementia, and they're showing things like nature, exercise, and sleep being three of the biggest factors. And if we're not sleeping, I think sleeping is the easiest because out of all the things that we're going to talk about today, sleep's the only one that people love. Like you love to do sleep well. There's almost nobody who I've ever met who's like, yeah, man, oh, I would just nine hours of sleep. I feel like a million bucks. It's amazing. It's like the greatest thing in the world. And what a weird thing. Like how weird is sleep? If you guys ever dive into it, like, and you just start thinking about like, we just lay there and shut our bodies down for like eight hours at a time. And we quote unquote waste 33% of our lives. So that the 66% of our lives where we're awake can be maximized. And what's interesting to me is every single person, every expert in the field is going to tell you that if you're operating on low, low sleep and high stress, and that's your default mode, that on average over time, if you run the mathematics on it, you are going to be operating at such a lower percentage, even if it's more time. It's not as good to run at 70% for 10 hours as it is to run 100% for four. And when we start to think about that productivity, that sort of becomes the game. And so when you start to add all these things in, it kind of goes back to number one. We talk about the compounding effect of delaying our short-term gratification. We think about how these things go. And when we talk about, this is true when we talk about the wealth gap and when we talk about the health gap, the health gap becomes wider. The ultra fit become more fit. Over time, the gap becomes larger between them and sickness. They get further away from sickness on the sickness, fitness, wellness spectrum, right? And the reason is, is because they're compounding these little things and they add up all the time. And when you don't do them, they add up all the time. And it's they're adding up in this way in the negative. We take it back to the island analogy. Every night you don't get a good night's sleep, you go further away from the island. Every day you wake up and you let things that shouldn't stress you stress you, you're further from the island. You choose to, you know, have a bunch of beers when you don't need them on like a Tuesday night because you had a hard day at work because you were stressed. Now you just screwed up all three because now you're satisfying stress with short term gratification, sugar, alcohol. That's going to mess up your sleep that night. One decision and you're screwing up three things. If you skipped the workout that night and came home and had a couple beers instead, you just screwed up all four things. That decision compounded over time is sort of just like my my haircut dollar amount. $40 for a haircut's not too crazy. $40 invested every single month for the next 45 years is also pretty crazy. Right? So when we look at that, You know, we get to make that choice every day and just a little understanding of compounding, a little grasp on reality, a little self-awareness, and we can make those decisions more effectively. And the people who make these decisions, the people who compound effectively, well, they get to reap the benefits just like Warren Buffett gets to reap the benefits of being the richest person in America doesn't really matter at this point because they're all giving away like 100% of their wealth to charity. So, and, and they've all given away so much, like there's no point in even counting net worth at this point, but let's just say he's the most successful investor of all time. He's one of, if not the richest human in alive right now. And, you know, you sit there and you look at him and all, what did he understand? The only thing that he understood that other people didn't is it's a game of compounding and value. Take the easy value when it's there. Everybody had the exact same opportunities to invest in the exact same uh, stocks that he did. Squats, I almost said squats. To invest in the exact same squats. Everybody has the exact same opportunity to invest in as many squats as everybody else. As many stocks as everybody else. Everybody had that same exact opportunity. He just understood compounding better. He just understood value better. And what I'm telling you from a health perspective is that the value is in moving, eating healthy, reducing stress and sleeping plenty. That's it. And then enjoy the compounding effect of making those decisions over time, consistently. 
And if you do that, you'll wake up one day and you'll be a billionaire in the health world, right? Which basically means you get to turn 70 and never have any chronic disease. You never haven't seen a doctor in 30 years and you're healthy and that's awesome. And you're capable. You can go out and you can hike and you can enjoy nature and you can do these things. You can be happy. And the opposite is true in the opposite way. And that's the gap. People are either going further from the island or coming closer to the island. And the last thing we're going to talk about here, guys, is groupthink and social pressures. And I think that this is important for us to talk about because we operate inside of a group atmosphere and we are constantly inundated with social pressures. And what's important here to understand is, you know, there's no problem with social media. And there's no problem with community or, you know, group mentalities or, you know, think tanks or groups. Um, the problem comes when we give an overweight amount of our attention to platforms, to people that cause it, cause us to develop a bias or feel a desire, have envy or place social pressures on us. And it begins to affect our actions in a way that doesn't benefit our long-term self. And maybe it's in a way that benefits somebody else. And I've had this conversation this week with DDP where he's run all the calculations on refinancing your home. And in almost every single situation, it doesn't make sense for you long-term financially to refinance your home. But banks and everybody right now is telling you, you've got to refinance. You guys are probably, I'm getting calls from Quicken Loans. I'm getting calls from all these banks. You know, hey, the, right now you can refinance down to 3.25%. You can take cash back out of your home, blah, 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 blah. He's run the numbers. You're free to email him about it. It doesn't make sense. It hurts you in the long term financially against counterculture. But if we give our attention to the bankers, to the advertisers, to the companies who are out there saying refinance, refinance, why are they saying that? Why are they advertising? Because they make money from it. Because it's in their best interest to. And you have to operate under the assumption that for the most part, it's usually not in your interest to engage with that stuff. And what's so interesting is, you know, it's not just social media. It's Netflix. It's what's suggested to you, the suggested post, the suggested news article, the suggested blog, the suggested show, the suggested documentary. And you, the idea of you're going to like this because other people like you like this and disregard the absolutely horrifying terrifying historical precedents from that like that that's really scary and if you guys don't see it do a little research on how nazi germany started terrifying and when that mentality starts to take over and that becomes our norm which it's quickly becoming our norm you don't even think about that much anymore you're going to like this post because your friends like this post you're going to like this documentary because people like you like this documentary. And if you don't like this documentary and other people like you like this documentary, you're weird. There's something wrong with you. And I almost have the different belief now where it's like, I want to be as counterculture as possible. I want, if I think like everybody else thinks, that means that I'm becoming sort of a drone, right? That means that I'm not thinking for myself. And that terrifies me. And there's a lot of historical, you know, precedents for us to look back on that should terrify you if you start to think sort of like just automatically think like everybody else thinks. And think about how easily manipulatable we become based on these scenarios. And so here's the I've got a few analogies for you. This is how we're going to sort of wrap up for the day. If you're a woman and you've maybe had some struggles with body image 
and you're working really hard at eating right. And, you know, you've maybe employed the help of a nutrition coach at Friendship. Right, let's just take that example. OK, you've struggled for years and years. You're just not at a weight that you feel comfortable with. You don't feel proud of your body. You don't feel sexy. And so you're like, I'm going to go and start and work on nutrition. And the nutrition coach tells you, I just want you to focus on drinking water I want you to focus on drinking water. Maybe we're going to focus also on, you know, you're going to start to eat a little bit more of a substantial breakfast because right now it's like a granola bar on the go, if anything. And you start to work in month one, you know, you maybe lose a half a percent body fat and two pounds. And you're like, oh, that's not very good. In month two, you know, you maybe lose three pounds. So you're at five total, another half percent body fat. And so you're down one, five pounds and you're just like, ah, man, like, I don't know. Now, you know, that night you're just kind of, you're not feeling overwhelmed about it. And so you get on Instagram and you just, you know, you're just kind of sitting there, you're relaxing a little bit for the night and you start scrolling and you see that, you know, your boyfriend liked a couple of pictures of, you know, swimsuit models or of CrossFit games, athletes in booty shorts. And your search feed is a bunch of diet people and, you know, food, food pictures and nutrition gurus before and after pictures of people losing 20 and 30 pounds from these companies that sell this stuff. You leave that platform feeling envious, feeling not great about you and your relationship and your progress. You feel like you're not doing enough. I need to be doing more. My progress is too slow. And even though you were trending the right direction, you immediately fall into this vulnerable state and you're susceptible to manipulation. And so you pause and you think about where do we go from here? And what happens if at that night you turn on Netflix and a recommended show for you is Game Changers, a documentary about a plant-based diet. It's a propaganda film. We've talked about it on here. Tomorrow, so you watch the documentary, you engage with it, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out the old nutrition plan. I'm not going to work with the coach anymore. I'm going to start plant-based. That's it. That's going to be it for me. And right there, that's the trap. You just fell into it. You were doing the right thing for your long-term health and wellness. You are learning to delay the long-term gratification and you're building the habits that are a firm foundation for you to have long-term development in your health and well-being under the eyes of a watchful coach who cares about you. But because of the way that we gave our attention away while we were in a vulnerable state, or even if that vulnerable state was created from the platforms that we gave our attention to, we gave in to short-term gratification. We started to think that there was a better, faster, quicker way. And there's not. That's where groupthink is terrifying to me. So here's a real-world scenario that I engage with in my life every week. So we like to watch Shark Tank in our household. Obviously, you know, I'm an entrepreneur uh, at heart and I have a love of, you know, just business, just learning business. How are you going to help people? How is this going to scale? Like, what are you going to do? And just hearing these things, they help my mind work. And so I love the show. I think it's a fantastic show, too. And on afterwards, after on CNBC, when we watch Shark Tank reruns, there's this real estate show. I think it's called Million Dollar Listing. And it's these big, gaudy Los Angeles houses and it's horrible reality TV and you get caught up in it and it's on CNBC. So there's commercials. And so during a commercial, Maria's watching this show and she sees this design or this thing. And what does she do? She pulls up her phone because nobody watches commercials anymore, right? TV commercials are a total waste. And so she picks up her phone. She starts scrolling social media or maybe she does some online shopping. One in the same. So she follows a lot of home decorating accounts. She likes a lot of photos for things that are designed that she likes. She is also friends with a lot of people. So when she goes to her search function, if you don't think that Instagram knows that you're watching that show on YouTube TV, you're wrong, right? They know that, okay? I do online marketing stuff. All of those things, yes, they track you every step of the way. So they know that you're watching Million Dollar Listing, probably even in that moment, and they're going to start to show you ads and feed you ads on Google, 
easily on Google, probably also on Facebook and Instagram. They're going to start to feed you ads that they know that people who watch that show buy. And immediately in that moment, she's vulnerable. She is susceptible to manipulation. And we're just not strong enough people to be able to overcome that if that's what we do, if that's what we give our attention to. And can you see that? Like, of course you can. Objectively, as a third party, when we talk through that scenario, you can see it. It's obvious. It makes sense. But when you're in the middle of it, when I call her out on that, when we talk about it, she can't see it. When you are engaged in the action yourself, when you are a German citizen and you are at a Nazi political rally, you don't know what that means. You just know that all your neighbors think this way. Everybody around me seems to be on board here. I like kind of what this guy Hitler's saying. Seems to make some sense. But you don't think about the back end ramifications of what the long term or long tail of that, those actions might be. And I get that the Nazi thing is a super, you know, that's a that's very far, very polarizing. I understand that. But that can be the dangers of these group things, of us being susceptible to manipulation and being vulnerable in these situations to not thinking for ourselves, not thinking about giving our attention to things that are in our best interest. And it's not that you can't watch the show. It's not that you can't get on Instagram. It's that you have to know that those are the goals of those platforms. You're giving your attention to something that is inherently by its nature trying to sell you something. Trying to sell you something that might not even be in your best interest, but is in their best interest. And the last one here, guys, the last example we'll talk about in this group think and social pressures is you join a CrossFit gym. You join it to get in shape, right? You want to lose maybe a couple pounds. You're getting bored at the gym. You don't feel great about your health, your wellness, those things. You used to play sports and you like to push yourself and you definitely like the team atmosphere and being in groups. And you understand the value of a coach because you've had a coach. At first, everything's new and it's kind of exciting. You're meeting new people. You're trying new things. You enjoy the challenge. And so you start thinking like, okay, I want like I want I like this now. I, I'm into it. I want to get better. And you start thinking like, okay, like in the back of my head, you're like, I am getting better. Like I'm hearing some lifts. I'm starting to figure this thing out, but it's not fast enough. So I'm going to start watching documentaries on Matt Frazier and Rich Froning and Tia Toomey. I'm going to start following all these CrossFit Games athletes who are super elite on social media. I'm going to start to spend a little bit more time around the top athletes in my gym and try to hang around them and do what they're doing. You see the top athletes signing up for competitions and wearing rogue gear. So you start to buy a little bit more gear. You start to maybe do weights that you shouldn't do. You start to maybe engage with movements or, you know, even in workouts that maybe are a little bit above your skill level. You stop focusing on the fundamentals. You stop doing what was best for you. In that moment, you're vulnerable. You're susceptible to that manipulation because we're engaging all of our attention in the group think. And we're starting to look for a shortcut. We stop engaging with what's best for us in the long term. We stop engaging with things that are the low hanging fruit. And we begin to focus and engage with things that are not what's best for us. We buy the furniture. We switch our nutrition. And so these are the analogies that I sort of thought about with this group think and social pressure. And so... Obviously, we want to try our best. I think it's obvious, at least, that we want to try our best to avoid these things. And I really want to start thinking about all of these different five things in terms of what I've learned and continue to try to think about new and creative ways to help you guys, help remind you, help remind myself the inherent dangers in either doing or not doing these things. So number one, don't give in to desire and let it control your happiness. 
Stay instead focused on what are the short-term things that I can control right now that are the best decisions for my future long-term self and become obsessed and addicted to delaying short-term gratification so that I can instead choose to spend my time in ways that are going to ensure that my future is better than my present. Number two, movement is medicine. Ensure that every day I move with intention in some capacity, knowing that I'll have more energy, more endorphins, more positivity, more empathy, more happiness if I engage with that every single day. Number three, nutrition is king. If we're not working on our nutrition and it's not perfect and we don't feel dialed in, then we're missing the lowest hanging fruit possible for us to develop, improve and get better. All things lead from the gut and there's no greater test of our ability for us to delay the short term gratification and engage in what's best for us in the long term than nutrition. It is the ultimate test every day, every choice, every decision. That's our test. That's the one that we want to maximize. Number four, sleep and stress are non-negotiables. You have to engage in practices that allow you to get the maximized amount of sleep every single night. There is no badge of honor for being so busy that you allow stress and a lack of sleep to control your life. There's no trade-off that's worth it. That's a hard one to swallow for a lot of people. When I was younger... At the tomb, I sacrificed a lot of sleep. I sacrificed a lot of my well-being to do something that most would view as being highly successful. I was a very busy person. I was stressed frequently. Doing it all over again, I would not engage in that practice either the same way. And I might not have even been successful about it. I might not have been able to be a tomb guard knowing the negative detriments to my long-term health and well-being. And that's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of people that would take success over sleep, over stress. But I know and I think on the long tail, I think you're going to come out on the negative on that one. That one's a kind of yet to be seen. That one's probably more debatable by people. And so you might challenge me and say, are you willing to let friendship fail? And all of those people who could have that benefit don't get that because you want to sleep eight hours every day. And I would come back and say, yes, because I think that I can operate friendship at a better capacity. If I sleep more, I'm operating at a higher capacity and that will in the long run make friendship better than if I didn't sleep. And in that way, if I didn't sleep then and friendship still failed, then it certainly would have if I did sleep. And at least if I slept, I would come out of it with better health, better mental clarity, better mental acuity, better well-being. And then lastly, guys, we have to be careful with what we give our attention to. Group think and social pressures are a drain on our progress. We need to be aware of the fact that we are easily manipulatable. We need to remain constantly vigilant when we are susceptible to manipulation when we're vulnerable to allowing groupthink to control our actions. Because oftentimes these actions aren't what's best for us in the long term. And they can be severely detrimental to us both in the short term and in the long term. So these are the five things that I think I really wanted to talk about in terms of what I've learned in owning a business and doing this podcast and growing through the journey of the last uh, 10 years, which has brought my wife, my family into my life. Some of the best, most meaningful relationships into my life has allowed us to change multiple people, multiple families, uh, direction and approach to health and fitness and, you know, has has led to, I think, me being in a place now where without the gym, I think I'd be I, I don't know where I'd be. Honestly, it's sort of scary to think about. Um, I can tell you I would not be as happy of a person because I wasn't on a great trajectory with that when I before I opened the gym. Um I had started to work back on health and fitness, but I don't know what my trajectory would have been had I gone, you know, straight from college into law school and become a lawyer. I don't know what that would have looked like. I don't know what it would have looked like if I would have stayed in the military. I can tell you that I don't think that I would be near as happy and I definitely wouldn't be as 
thoughtful, I guess is lack of a better way to put it intentional with every day. And so I thank you guys for allowing me to be a part of that journey. And I hope that this podcast was useful for you guys. And I hope that it was a good 100th episode. I love you guys very much. Have a fantastic day. A great week. Love you. Good day. Mm-hmm.